Welcome to the Getting Heaven Into People podcast. I'm Dave Ripper, a pastor here in New England, and I want to thank you for listening. After two years of the pandemic, almost all of us are hurting in some way, and so many of our churches are reeling. To address the deeply felt need Christians and churches have, I've designed this podcast to invite us to experience deeper healing and freedom over a 40-day journey as we pursue spiritual transformation together. I'm praying today's episode helps you experience greater joy, contentment, and confidence in your life and walk with God. So as you listen, may God's grace and peace be with you. Well, welcome to Getting Heaven in the People. I'm Dave Ripper from Crossway Christian Church in Nashua, New Hampshire, and we are on day 11 of a 40-day journey where we're learning and praying about how to cultivate greater spiritual freedom. So far in our journey, we learned that the goal of the Christian life is union with God. Since God is love, as 1 John tells us, the more we are pervaded with Christ-like love, the more united we will be with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Over the last few days, we're learning how we might be changing the people who are becoming more and more loving like Christ. And to change our whole life, we have to change the individual parts. We have to change our thinking. We have to change the role we allow our emotions to play in our lives. And today, we're going to talk about changing our hearts, our hearts. Dallas Willard describes the heart as the executive center of the human person. It's that facet of ourselves in which our actions, choices, decisions, and directions uh, overflow into our lives, the executive center of ourself. And this understanding of the heart is rooted deeply in Scripture. Let's listen to a few moments about what the Bible says about our hearts. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Psalm 139, verses 23 to 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me or hurtful way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Luke chapter 12, verses 33 to 34, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Or in the old King James Version, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Well, given these texts and the remainder of our time today, I'd like for you to assess the state of your heart, learn how to guard your heart, and discover how to find spiritual freedom by transforming your heart. So assessing and guarding and transforming your heart. So first, let's assess. How's your heart today, friend? If the heart is the executive center of the human person, then one way to evaluate it is by looking at what your life is directed by 
or organized around? Might that be God and his mission? Or maybe self-ambition, pursuit of comfort or power or security? What is your heart set on? Now, a lot of us might have splintered hearts, divided hearts. Our desires compete with one another. They pull us in opposing directions. Now, as a personal example, the goal of my life is to live with greater union with God. And ultimately, out of that relationship with God, ministry and service will overflow. But it can be very tempting, alluring even, for my heart to turn inward toward itself and away from God by the things I choose to pursue, even when they seem to have a holy nature about them. I can choose endeavors within even church work and ministry so that I get glory or praise for how I pursue God or teach rather than arranging my whole life around the living in an ever deepening relationship with the Trinity. And the heart, as Jeremiah tells us, is deceptive. It can mislead. It can cause us to lie to ourselves. And as my friend Rob says, we lie loudest when we lie to ourselves. So how's your heart? Honestly, how is it? How might God describe the state of your heart if you gave him permission to search your heart and to know you? So first, take time to assess. Secondly, let's think about how we can guard our hearts as Proverbs 4.23 instructs us. I'm really been fascinated by all the different aspects of how the self works together. Let's think about our thought life as it relates to the heart for a moment. While what we think about is in fact one of the greatest aspects of personal freedom that we have, as we talked about, if our hearts or our wills are not strong, then we lose the power to choose, to freely choose what we give our thoughts to. We will instead give our thoughts, our attention to what comes our way reactively rather than proactively. And so the state of our heart impacts the state of our thinking, and that impacts the direction of our life. But the converse is also true. When we give our attention, what we give our attention to, it shapes our intentions, our desires, or what our hearts are set on. Marketers understand this concept all too well, don't they? If we can get enough of your attention, what you think about, then, then as marketers, we can shape what you want and what you pursue because our attention shapes our intentions. What you pay attention to will shape who you become. I remember watching sports about a year or so ago and Disney decided to advertise uh, for their, their theme parks on it. And that wasn't something I was really all that interested in, but suddenly I'm having this conversation with my wife. You know, Should we really be setting money aside to try and take a Disney vacation? Where did that intention come from? It came from what was my attention was given to. So to guard our hearts, we have to guard what we allow our minds to dwell on, to what gets our attention. Now, one of the things that has concerned me pastorally the most throughout this pandemic, and even before, is how much we as Christians, how much of our attention we can give to the news, the interpretation to the news, and to politics. Now, reading the Times, 
being politically engaged is absolutely not wrong whatsoever. Uh, it's, it's essential for Christians to be engaged in culture. But when the media or politics gets a disproportionate amount of our attention, it can shape us negatively. It can shape how we see and view the world more than it maybe it should. And it can even shape and see or what we don't see, even when it comes to reading scripture. So right intention is the result of giving our best attention to the best things. And so we need to ask God for help to help us discern between what might be good and what is best. So how might God be inviting you to better guard your heart by what you allow to fill your mind with? And lastly, how can we transform our hearts by God's grace? The beatitude, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God, I believe, helps to clue us in. Now, purity of heart, being pure of heart is not simply about making sure we avoid the wrong things, but purity is about a single-mindedness. Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, famously said, purity of heart is to will one thing, to desire one thing, not many things. Now, we find this single-minded pursuit of God all throughout Scripture as an example for us. Psalm 24, 7, one thing I ask of the Lord and that I would seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. One thing, Jesus to Martha in Luke 10, only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the better part and it will not be taken from her. One thing. Paul in Philippians 3, this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. One thing, one thing, one thing. Now, this does not mean that you only do one thing, like just pray all the time or read your Bible all day or seek God, but it's that you do the one thing while you do many things. A lot of writers over the ages have likened this one thing to your life mission. What has God put you here to do? I've wrestled this with this for many years, but landed on a pretty simple mission statement. What I set my heart on doing and that I ask God to help me to do no matter what task I'm doing or whatever circumstances I face. My mission is simply to reflect God's joy, to reflect God's joy. That aligns well with the personality he's given me and with the reality of who God is. Dallas Willard famously said, God is the most joyous being in the universe. Or as one of my professors, Gary Moon says, God is joy in motion. I want to reflect the joy that is at the heart of who God is. And when my heart is set on that mission, my life has greater peace and greater connection to God. But when my heart gets entangled in other pursuits like my success, what other people think of me, whatever, dissatisfaction arises and spiritual freedom dissipates. It wanes in those entanglements. So what might your one thing be? What would God want that one thing to be? Because the pure in heart, those who pursue one thing are those who will see God encounter him and live in greater union with him. So my prayer for you today is this. Would you open your heart to God's cleansing, healing, restoring, strengthening work? May you set your heart, your desires to life with God and partnership with him in mission. 
And may you guard your heart by guarding what receives your attention. And may your heart be transformed so that you would be a person after God's own heart. To him be the glory. Amen.